Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation time for driven radio show hey all you car fiends and gearheads welcome back to driven radio your weekly automotive happy hour i am brett hatfield here with our engineer and co-host mr mark groves yep the freshly shorn mr mark groves yes i'm so shaved look at look at those bare (laughs) cheeks oh you look so boyish and it's Corey pratt hey the the evil genius behind craving cars on youtube that's me we are coming to you from driven radio studios in beautiful overland park kansas and yes it was beautiful today it was sunny A's. Can't believe I spent my whole day behind a desk. <laughs> that happens. Crap. Welcome to that working world. I was almost chained to it. <laughs> you can find us online at drivenradioshow.com and readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. <laughs> and listen to everywhere fine podcasts are heard. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to tell your gearhead friends. If there's something you'd like to hear more of or someone you think we should interview, to that end, I had a gentleman send me a suggestion for an interview Ooh. several weeks ago. Yeah. And I still haven't gotten the person on here. I have not forgotten. But thank you. Uh, but, thank you for sending it. Thank you very much for your suggestions. And we will make every effort to try and get those people on here. So if you'd like to uh, hear more of something or would like us to interview somebody, or if you have an interesting story, please tell us. Send us your emails to brett at drivenradio.com. We will make our best effort to get you on. We didn't have a show last week, uh, as I thought I was going to need to attend a family function, and I'd like to say a few words about that. Uh, my Uncle Mike, my dad's brother, passed away September 3rd. Mm. Uncle Mike was the cool uncle. He was the one who tells you all the stories your parents don't want you to hear. (laughs) He's the one that tells you how to pick up girls when you're way too young to know what the hell he's talking about. But you're listening anyway. You're Uh, fascinated because it's Uncle Mike. Uh, He was the guy who talked to you like you were an adult long before you got there. And he was the one who was like a great friend who was just a little older than you were. He always made you feel like he was thrilled to see you. He always listened to anything that you had to say. He was an amazing human being. He was warm-hearted, funny, hardworking, a great father, grandfather, brother, uncle, and friend, and he will be missed. I love you, Uncle Mike. That's so cool. That dude, man. To be able to have an uncle like that, because that's the one that you can tell fart jokes to, and he'll oh, laugh. He was. Whereas your parents will stare your ass down that table. Yeah. I, I, I remember when I was little, he had this craptastic MG, and I don't think he ever put the top up on it, but he had a bag of golf clubs in the back all well, the time. Well, yeah. And I, I remember, and I, I was way little. I was three or four years old, or not much older than that. And I remember riding in the MG with Uncle Mike and just thinking, God, he goes really fast. that's cool well see uncle mike didn't have to be the parent so he didn't have to be the strict hey this is what you're supposed to be doing he can be the fun loving go 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 yourself he was still making sure that you learned what's what and who's who oh sure just had a different technique there you go he was so very cool and so much fun 
and a little bit foul when my dad wasn't listening. Absolutely. Uh, but he, he was a great uncle, and he was, he's gone way too soon. Yeah. Yes. I love you, Uncle Mike. You will be missed. Absolutely. All righty. Uh, so what have you gentlemen been doing in cars and motorcycles the last couple of weeks? Um, I, I ordered brake pads, front brake pads for the Porsche. I've got a track day I'm going to go to next month. <laughs> Why? Did you warp the rotors doing high-speed pull-downs or something? Not at all. The <laughs> rotors are in good shape. Um, the pads are actually about a, I don't know, a third or a quarter left. But with the track day, I don't, yeah. I, I want to go. scrub off a lot of that. Yeah, and... I want to I get some fresh pads. Um, they should have been, they should have been put in. Like sorry, yeah. That, thanks, Mark. They should have been put in a long time ago. Is, but it literally has taken me three or four weeks the, to get these in the, the mail. The bad thing is, I am absolutely right there with you, Mark. I yeah. just didn't say it. Well, once those come in, you'll be able to ride, go horseback, and scuba diving. You can wear, you'll be able to wear those white shorts again. <laughs> I love it. However, they just actually came in today, so I can put them nice. in. Nice. Cool. In, in the meantime, I got to do something uh, that has been sitting in my driveway for six or seven years. You did something with your Jeep. I did. What you did What'd with you your Jeep? I got a new rear and put in it. Oh, is it drive? Oh, it's been sitting for a long. Have you been it's running been sitting it? Sitting a long time. So he, no. Here's the problem. So I got it all like all, all oiled and greased oh, up. A Mark, you can go go with this however you want. No, yeah. uh, not so, quite. Um, <laughs> but I'm close. So I, I I changed all the fluids and all that stuff and new battery. Tried to start it. It, it would it would turn over. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a good sign. It's moving. The engine parts are, are doing something, so okay. it's not seized by any means. From did sitting. you bother to look at your oil? Does it look like a milkshake? Oh, no, no, no. No, actually, when I drained it, it actually didn't look that bad. That's what I thought was crazy. So, But that's okay. Got it all done. New oil and stuff, right? Didn't start. Fuel pump. Big surprise. Right. So I started taking – I got a fuel pump. I, and I, the, I, I finally got a rear end. But is I was it like, in the let's, tank? Let's, let's do the fuel pump. So I started lowering the, the tank. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had to drop the tank to get the fuel pump. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I unplugged the, uh, the wire harness. And then I started unplugging something else. I'm like, wait a minute. Why are there two wires, like, apart? They got chewed. There was a nest on top of my oh, fuel tank. Those dirty rats, And I literally. thought, that's my problem. Mice, rats, moles, raccoons, possums. Wow, oh, dude. Just something. I don't know. It was abandoned. <laughs> but whatever it is, chewed two of my wires. It took <laughs> me a minute to figure something out what I was going to do. Anyways, all said and done, I actually repaired the harness myself, resoldered, did a kind of stuff. Had to, was able to take it apart and re- rebuild it. Did the old or did you still have to replace it? No, I plugged it in. Turns out it still didn't work. I had to replace it. Okay, so, well. <laughs> and it was sitting there so long, the, the, it, the whole bottom half of this fuel pump disintegrated in the tank. Oh, wow. <laughs> I cleaned the tank out. I got that done. I put wow, it up. We dude. got the rear input in at the same time. It fired right the heck up. And then the brakes started leaking. <laughs> You did let it sit a long time. I, d- I did. So, so I had some rusty the hard lines. So I ended up buying a kit. Only cost like one hundred and sixteen bucks or so. Jeep parts are cheap. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, Listen and, to that. And, and All put, you kids out there, if you're looking for some for some kind of a car, like a project that, car, even that will be inexpensive to mod once you get Jeeps. Are Jeep Wranglers, cheap. absolutely. So I bought new brake lines. One of them was the biggest pain in the butt in my entire life of having to put in. I got pre bent lines mm-hmm. and trying to get one in. Uh, Never mind. Let's just not go into details with it. It sucked, but I got it in. I got them all done. I got the brakes, uh, the brakes bled. The brakes bled. The brakes bled, and uh, all the brakes. So the brakes that came on the rear, and I bought because mm-hmm. it was a used one, worked fine. Great. I didn't have to replace them. The front brakes that had been sitting there for a while didn't work fine. The the, the calipers oh, wow. weren't seized up or nothing. Wow, that's surprising. They actually, I know. I thought I was going to have to buy new brakes too. Uh, it all rolled. It did great. It starts. It rolls. It moves. It does everything. And I went out to eat last night with the wife, and the rear end broke. 
Oh, oh no! my God. What? Oh, that's what you waited forever to get. Yeah. Crap. 60 miles an hour on a highway, it locked up, and I went to a full lock in the rear end and, and it almost spun out of control. But although, I mean, I was sideways and so had. So you couldn't just push my the magnificent, on that. That's not going to work. My magnificentness behind the wheel of a car was able to control it off the side of the highway. <laughs> that's what I love about Corey. It gives great humble. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we didn't wreck. We were about that. Close to a guardrail. So you got it fixed kind of so for that a sucks for a minute. For so a that, minute. That, that absolutely just, I lost it. Well, we don't have any more time for the show, folks. Good night. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it. I, 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 you, went, Mark, I went more you, detail than I should have. Where'd you write to? Uh, actually, I didn't do much writing at all. Uh, it's been so busy at work. I did uh, talk to a guy a couple of times uh, by the name of Vinny. Vinny. Young fella. Hi, Vinny, if you're listening, because I told him about the podcast. He uh, is this young guy. Uh, up out of uh, up north, and he can seem to sniff out cars. He's just one of these young fellows that, that is, has a natural gift of gab. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, and I say young fellow, he's in his late twenties, but he uh, well, that's young for us. He's able to sniff out vehicles, <laughs> and there was a '56 Plymouth oh, that he and I were God. he and I were chatting about. But uh, <laughs> which minister owns this? Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but this one, uh, it. it it needed a little bit of metal work, and uh, it sat outside for six or seven yeah, years. Satan used to camp in the back seat. They, they were talking ten to fifteen k on just uh, on the, the body work the fuel and, tank. and to get it pretty. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, I can't do that. But uh, I did talk to him and talked to uh, got a couple other feelers out for stuff, and we'll see what we'll see what shakes out of the truck. Okay, real quick rundown. Drove the red Corvette around and wound up on a couple of Kansas City car spotter pages on Facebook. Nice. Yeah. Well, shot from behind while I it I didn't realize it looked that bad. <laughs> and that not the car. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I finally got new knockoff spinners for my blue Corvette. Son of a- That's awesome. Does that mean you can drive I it thought, now? I thought they were never going to come in. I uh, took it over to the shop yesterday, the same shop where Dad's silver Corvette was hanging out. Swapped in cars, uh, dropped off the spinners, and Old Blue might be ready for the Old Murray River Run coming (gasps) up in Ottawa this weekend. Sweet deal. That's exciting. Hopefully that will be buttoned up. I'm really excited about that. Uh, That's about it. I drove around in my red car in the evenings when it was cool, and it was just lovely. It was gorgeous. Nice. In the news. Uh, we got a few upcoming events we wanted. We you may want to check out. Almost one fifth of Cadillac dealers balk at the future of electric cars. <laughs> uh, Italian supercar manufacturers aren't ready for an all electric future either. And Porsche says, "Grow up, you gas powered sissies." Uh-huh. <laughs> Should be interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, part Porsche out of the car to their mouth. Porsche. <laughs> when we first started doing this show eons ago, back when uh, it was originally called Road Muscle Radio, uh-huh. uh, we'd have a weekly segment dedicated to local car events. And we quit doing that because our reach wound up being a lot more than just local. So we stopped doing that and. We haven't really covered that very much, except there are three events mm-hmm. that are coming up this weekend, or uh, this weekend, and then in October that I think we ought to mention. Yeah. First one, I'm going, and the last time I went, Mark and I went to the 
the Old Murray River Run down oh. in Ottawa. Now, this for people who don't know, this just sounds like a car show in a small town, and why would I pay any attention to it? Last time we were there, there were over 3,200 entries. And some of them were amazing. And some of them were freaks. Yeah, we're just, you're looking at it going, no, uh, you're rubbing your eyes and stuff and going, yeah. what the hell did I just, that's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. Now, if I'm not mistaken, so this isn't just like any old car show. This is no, like, no, no. what, 72 and older, correct? I, I believe so, but... Uh, you know, there were some there were some uh, bastard cars last time we were there, amalgams of cars that were newer than seventy two, at least for part of the car, and then much older than seventy two for the rest oh, of the car. Well, like I so see. many car like shows, you know, if you want to be judged, you have to be in that range. But you can go to the car show with your car and and be part of it. You know, well, do you remember the eighties Caprice front end grafted onto like a forty eight Chevy? <laughs> yeah, it was so wrong. The, there was all, there was some awfully <laughs> wow, strange okay. stuff. Also, the Ford Econoline pickup pickup from the Wanahaka Lugie surf shop that had the spitting, spitting tiki god on the side. Yeah, I had uh, a bunch of pictures of that. It was awesome. That was awesome. The It's a great show. If you can, you really should check it out. It's on Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th, which is probably about the time the show posts. You should throw your gear in the car and head to Ottawa for the 34th annual Omaray River Run held at Forest Park. That's at 405 North Locust Street. This coming weekend, the 18th and 19th, uh, just go. Just go. And we'll have the link for the show and the registration on Driven Radio. Also, October 8th through the 10th in Garnett, Kansas, it's the Lake Garnett Grand Prix Revival. Now, in the 50s and 60s, they ran a Grand Prix there. They ran car races there. There's lots of pictures of old Cobras and Corvettes and cool stuff racing around Lake Garnett. It was a for real draw. And they quit doing it, obviously, because the circuit's a little small and speeds were really high and safety and <laughs> safety third. Safety what? But they've What's started that? doing it again. It's a multi-day event at Lake Garnett and it includes a road tour and cruise, a car show, an autocross, and high-performance driving exhibitions on the historic raceway. If you have a proper race car, or even if you don't have a proper race car, they'll let you pay your money and bring a helmet and go race around it. You know what that means? I'm going to pay my money, take my Corvette, and go race around it. Oh, Yeehaw. How fun it's would that be? To, it opened to vintage and modern sports cars, race cars, and performance cars from every era. The racing has different categories. I will obviously be the most novice of novice. <laughs> I'll also be covering that event for The Driven. So, nice. Uh, that is October 8th and 10th. You ought to check that out. That's really cool. Finally, Marky. In your hometown, uh, Branson, down in Branson, right now. You know, I actually looked at pictures of Branson online this week, and it's a whole lot more cosmopolitan than I remember it being. That's an awfully large word for my hometown. I'm <laughs> yes. going to tell you right now. Lots of you syllables. just spent ten dollars on a four dollar need for a word. <laughs> I could have gone tawny, but yeah. I went cosmopolitan. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> Tawny, Tony, Cosmopolitan, and all their friends. Yes. October 14th through the 16th, I'll be covering the Cox Auctions Branson sale at the Branson Convention Center, 200 South Sycamore Street in Branson, Missouri. Uh, Where I used to cruise, yes. the downtown area. Well, Ooh. you maybe ought to go with me and see some of the stuff they got coming up. They have some motorcycles. Ooh. 
Motorcycles. Motorcycles and toys. And they also have Plymouths. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Anyways, He's those are all kind of you. regional, and they're around here, but it's all three of them are things that I'm going to go do because they sound like fun. Yeah, super all nice. The, all the links for these events will be on readthedriven.com. Go check it out. It's uh, 7 o'clock. Yeah. Do we have Ed? Yeah. If you want to do that quick wrap. Oh, we can we can just knock that out. Hi, Ed. We'll be with you in a second. Love you. Love you. Love your show. <laughs> well, we actually do love his show. It's yeah, a, absolutely. It's awesome. I am yeah. not lying. <laughs> okay. You, you ready for me? Yep. Coming up in segment two, we will be. Let me take another step. What was that? that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, from Motor Authority, almost one-fifth, almost one-fifth of Cadillac's dealerships are going to bail on the brand's electric future. That is insane. Mm. They're saying, we don't want it. General Motors is betting big on battery electric vehicles, and its Cadillac brand has been tasked with spearheading their rollout. The automaker has already revealed the 2023 Cadillac Lyrique uh, crossover due in early 2022. That's supposed to debut, I think, like next month. And confirmed four additional EVs for the luxury brand, including a flagship sedan dubbed the Celestique. It's <laughs> sexy. It is, is sexy. Because the name oh. sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, they had it's to do the Celestique. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought they should have called the uh, Escalade the Escalade and been snotty <laughs> about it. But anyway, Cadillac could become a full EV brand by 2030, depending upon how, how the market evolves. But they want Cadillac, GM wants Cadillac dealerships to get on board, which means they'll have to spend a lot of money to upgrade their facilities with charging, tooling, and training for the EVs. And it costs around 200 grand per dealership. Mm. And the dealers that don't want to do the transformation, GM has either offered, they offered last fall, cash incentives to close up shop. Automotive News reported on Monday that approximately 150 dealers accepted the cash offers, which ranged from $300,000 to $500,000. That number equates to 17% of Cadillac's 880 U.S. dealerships. Jesus, 17% of your dealerships going poof. Yeah. yeah no well, it's not the first time GM's tried to reduce the number of Cadillac dealerships, which is triple the number of German luxury brands. In 2016, they tried to buy dealers out, too. One issue with the EV transformation could be a loss in revenue for the dealerships. Uh, EVs typically don't require much in the way of maintenance, and especially when compared with internal combustion engines. Yeah. You know, you don't do much maintenance on an electric engine. You don't do oil changes on them. Uh, and they're going to become more reliable as the technology improves. EVs tend to have fewer moving parts. And like I said, no oil changes, no tune-ups. If they have regenerative braking, even brake jobs are going to become fewer. Uh, oh, good Lord. In addition to upgrading, you know, all these expenses, there's going to be less revenue, and you're going to have to spend big money to upgrade your dealership. It does not. That does not count as a win-win, especially for the old school people who, you know, uh, they're not they're not really interested in that. This no. is this is business to make money, and so now you're going to do this thing where for a few years I'm going to lose my tuchus, especially in a somewhat unstable that's economy. Gonna, that's a lot of tire uh, rotations and uh, yeah, and alignments that you have to do to make up the difference. There. And while GM's lost many of its Cadillac dealerships, 
especially in rural areas, it's gaining new ones in areas where the brand doesn't have a strong presence, like Silicon Valley and Beverly Hills and Manhattan. Some of the successful Cadillac dealerships are buying the rival stores that are closing. So I don't know that all of them are going to close, but I don't see caddy dealerships in smaller towns and more rural areas having a really hot reception to the EVs. No. No, it's... It, it's, I think it's going to take a generation before that changes, and that's a long-term investment. And it, it, you got to really wonder what what are cars going to even dealerships even going to look like in ten years? I don't because know. not just because of the electric, but you know, being frowned upon for vehicles, kind of generally from a, a specific part of our government and, and thought processes. Holy cow! Well, and I don't know about mm-hmm. you guys, but when's the last time you bought a car from a dealership? Thirteen years ago. That's Correct. how old my truck is. Uh, 2019. I'm starting to think back and I'm having trouble remembering the last oh, time. 2020, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you bought your Porsche used. Right, but I got at the beginning of right after COVID started, we traded and bought a brand new 2019 Golf GTI. Okay. Um, I'm trying, I don't, none of the cars I own right now, none of them. And I honestly can't tell you the last time I bought one from a dealership. I can tell you the last time I bought a new car, and it was 1990. <laughs> I bought two. I bought two new vehicles, and they've both been trucks, which is weird because I'm the guy who's like, I want an old beater car, yeah. burger, burger, and yet uh, they've both been pickups. One was a Nissan that I shouldn't have bought when I graduated college, and then uh, and then this uh, red pickup that I drive now. I've had two new cars in my lifetime. They were both before I was 23 years old. Wow. Yeah. 22 years old. Back when we didn't worry about driving them off the lot and losing you know, $8,000 of our butt right there. Well, it's, you know, you didn't think in those terms. You also mm-hmm. didn't think about you know retirement much either. So. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, but the, the last brand new car I bought was a 1990 Honda Civic CRX. Oh, wow. It was a cool little car at yeah. the time. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun, and it got unbelievable mileage. Like, I I remember it getting north of 35, and oh. it was a DX, not a not an HF. The HF got close to 50, I remember. Lordy mercy. Mm-hmm. And wow. the, the SIs would get about 30, but they had more cool stuff in them, like a sunroof. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, the, the That's essential important. things you need when you're younger. I couldn't swing an SI. I could only I could do the, uh, the, C, the CRX. Uh, DX because it was under ten grand, brand new. Wow. Yeah, and that's the last brand new car I bought. I haven't <laughs> come close to another yeah. one since. <laughs> Not even, man. And well, of course, this is coming from the guy whose nose car is a two thousand five. <laughs> well, from a uh, road and track, Italy wants to protect its supercar makers from a twenty thirty five internal combustion ban. How kind. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have the super expensive cars. You shouldn't have to go through this. Mm-hmm. You're special. Uh-huh. Companies are pushing to create fully electric lineups before the decade is out in anticipation of various regulatory changes that could spell the end of internal combustion cars by 2035. Mm. I, I'm Damn. Ki- I'm kind of hoping that... Uh, never mind. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we need all that oil for all the plastic that we're putting into the oceans. Oh, sorry. What was I saying? Why didn't somebody come up with an electric jet so we wouldn't have to worry about cars? <laughs> yeah, it, and it's flying so close to the sun, you think it would be able to energize itself faster. I'm just saying. Sure. It's just logic. Some high-end, low-output manufacturers are reluctant to convert. If the Italian government gets their way, those companies will have a few more years to make the switch. 
So, uh, Robert uh, Sing- Singalani? Yeah, sure. Singalani. Singalani, yeah. Hey! Former Ferrari board member and the Minister for Ecological Transition in the Italian Prime Minister's administration, he says that the government is in talks with the European Union to create an exemption in the proposed 2035 ban. How about that? Former Ferrari board member, I bet he owns some of that stock. He's the guy Mm -hmm. that wants to go flying through the channel over to uh, London. Yeah, yeah. You know, get himself Mm -hmm. some good kidney pie in his gas-powered vehicle. Small volume car companies have a more difficult time switching to electric power because you know they don't benefit from the economies of scale that the uh, the they large don't have companies huge do. Deep pockets. No, mm-hmm. no, they don't. And I so get it. Small companies are going to need more time to prepare for complete retooling, and the smaller number of cars produced by those brands also mean that the relative impact of those cars on the road is much smaller than those from larger competitors. Even as the more powerful cars pollute more. Directly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ferrari and Lamborghini, the two biggest brands that would be protected by this deal, produced just 16,500 cars. I have a year. thought on this. I'm going to hold it for a moment. Uh, it, what the deal makes sense on paper, you know, kind of, uh, it ignores that both Ferrari and Lamborghini have been pivoting to electrification already. Lamborghini's electrification efforts officially kicked off when the company debuted a mild hybrid system on the new Countach last month. Yeah, for eight horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! That's all it added. It, it was it was really minuscule. It didn't amount to much. It's, it's like a handful of nine volt batteries. It's, it's, a, it's a start. Uh, you know, not much of one. You got to have a what eight horsepower uh, bulbs yeah. on the front and back. Uh, you got to have it to rotate your disco ball inside. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Look at the disco. You, you beautiful baby. Get in the car. Ferrari's been building a hybrid performance car since uh, debuting the LaFerrari. La LaFerrari. LaFerrari. Translation, the Ferrari. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Ferrari, the Ferrari. Uh-huh. In 2013, Ferrari already plans to unveil its first all-electric car in 2025, while Lamborghini has an all-electric car coming in the near future, too. Now, both the exception and the actual 2035 ban are both in the proposal stage right now, but this is something to follow. Because uh-huh. in 2035, what happens here could determine the trajectory of at least two of the automotive's most world-famous brands. So you're, you're aching. Yeah. What is it? What was that thing that you were holding back? Corey's going to read this next piece. So from the drive. And I, then I'm going to unload. <laughs> I'm going to unleash the Kraken. Yes. So from the drive, uh, Porsche's CEO says Ferrari and Lamborghini shouldn't be exempt from the EU combustion engine ban. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yeah, stupid <laughs> stupid go, Brett. people guy. Uh, <clears throat> let, them, let them have it. Uh, this weekend, the drive reported on the Italian government's lukewarm reception to the European Union's 2035 a combustion engine ban. More specifically, the country wants an exception to the rule for the small production supercar manufacturers located within its borders. <laughs> Porsche CEO Oliver Bloom says such an exception is just not reasonable. Everyone has to contribute to the fight against climate change. Uh, that includes companies like Ferrari and Lamborghini, even if they don't make that many vehicles. Porsche produces the electric uh, Taycan as well as numerous hybrids. Ferrari and Lamborghini produce new electrified vehicles and no battery electric cars. Bloom says, in an interview, decarbonization is a global question everybody has to contribute. Okay, I can't take it anymore. But you got to <laughs> drive me nuts. It's just pissing me off. Yeah. First of all, mm-hmm. Lamborghini and Porsche are both owned by Volkswagen. 
They're part of Volkswagen Group. So mm-hmm. this is guys flicking spitballs at each other in a in a boardroom, okay? Secondly, so Lamborghini that they're portraying as being this little tiny Italian company doesn't have enough money to be able to bullcrap. They belong to the largest auto conglomerate there is, period. Is it most of what's in there is an Audi anyways? It does. At least in a Huracan? Well, so uh, like an R8 Huracan, you know, the V12's unique to the to Okay. The, uh, okay. All right. But secondly, Ferrari is owned by a publicly held company called Exor NV. Mm-hmm. Exor NV did more than a hundred thirty-six billion in sales oh. last year. Oh. Oh. Did they forget to mention that? <laughs> hundred thirty-six so, small small company. Billion, huh? Yeah, three commas. Small small. Hundred thirty-six billion. Yes. I don't want to hear small car company out of either one of you two. Shut up. (laughs) All right? You know who I want to give the exception to? Pagani. They can have the exception. Sure. Pagani's, that's a small car company. Absolutely. They're not owned by some giant publicly held conglomerate. What about Koenigsegg? Same thing? I think Christian should get it, but Christian's also, they're so far you're, technologically advanced. They'll probably have one before everybody else anyways. Yeah, I okay. imagine they will. Okay. I imagine Christian Koenig's, a, and it'll name that after a cousin or something, yep. like they did yep. with the last one. They named you it after it. his dad. Yep. Oh. That was, and it's a really cool car. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Very. But it, this is such a bunch of crap. Now, I agree with Porsche's CEO. Uh, yeah, everybody should have to play by the same rules. I don't think they should change. Uh, I think what should change is the date. I think the I I think the date should be pushed back, you know, a couple centuries. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. That's I'm uh, 100% uh in uh in motion so, motion to uh, motion uh to now I yeah. I I do like, you know, in this next article in this guy's name, I had to look it up to be able to pronounce it right. Maurizio Reggiani. So that that's the uh, Lamborghini's chief technology uh what a officer. what a great name, but what a yep. pissed off kindergartner that would have been. <laughs> I love his argument for the V12 engine and the sound of the V12 engine, and him saying that's what Lamborghini customers expect. Yeah, he says that's that's essential to the company's identity. I I don't disagree with that at all. That is yeah. the that is the heart of a Lamborghini to put not too fine a point on it. Right. And I get what they're saying, but don't just don't give me this. This really whiny, just a little tiny car company. You're full of crap. Oh, he talks about where Lamborghini. You know they they don't sell cars. They sell emotion. Uh, oh my God, yes. really? And part of that emotion comes from the sound of an engine. Yeah, so did specifically race. a V12, a naturally <laughs> yeah. aspirated one. Yeah, race playpen sold the same stuff. We yeah. sell emotion. Yeah, it's dirty and sticky, but it's emotion. Right, right. <laughs> Well, Ferrari, on the other hand, though, is set to release its first full EV by 2025 yeah. and has kept comparatively um, tight-lipped on the EU's 2035 mandate. So, I mean, if they're already going to come out the car 10 years before the mandate, you'd think they'd be okay by but then. But this is a non twenty. This is a non-argument. It's the Porsche CEO jacking with the Lamborghini CEO, and they both are owned by the same parent company. Yeah. Just... Wow. Let them mud wrestle or something. Yeah. Well, Lamborghini's got what at disposal. I mean, they could make a Taycan Lamborghini. Really. Sure. They could. They need to go to the break room and pick up the tiramisu and start slinging it. Oh, yeah, baby. Come on. I'm <laughs> Last man standing. I, Just I, saying. I, I want to see a full-on pasta knockdown drag out. Hey, two go in, one come out. Hey, hey. Yeah, smack somebody <laughs> with a sock full of meatballs. Come on. 
non-issue. Well, there it is. There's um, there's the Italians for you. <laughs> In a nutshell. Well, yeah. it's, it's the Germans are wanting to start the spice crap, the and the Italians are saying, well, no, we'll change your rules. And one guy wants sauerkraut, the other one wants a spicy meatball. <laughs> sauerkraut meatball. How disgusting. <laughs> Hey, guess what, kids? Coming up in segment two, we will be speaking to Ed Bolian about driving a McLaren F1, the fifth season of Car Trek, the explosive success of VinWiki, and what it's like to race a plane with a car. All this and much more is coming up right here on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio Show, coming to you from Driven Media World Headquarters in Bucolic, Overland Park, Kansas. Bucolic. I had to look that one up. <laughs> yeah, you're spending a lot of money on words tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I certainly did. That was a expensive book. Our attorney special guest tonight is Ed Bolian. Ed started an exotic car rental company out of his dorm room in Georgia. To, you imagine the, the sack that takes? <laughs> Good God! Yeah, a GDI to go ahead and be that motivated? Yeah, what's a, what a we what were a, just drinking and trying to get on the girls' floor. What a what a <laughs> pair on that kid! Oh my lord! He started an exotic car rental company out of his dorm room at Georgia Tech in 2006, and went on to become the director of sales at Lamborghini Atlanta. Ed is a former U.S. Express record holder and noted traffic scoff law. Um, yeah, I think that kind of goes with the description. He loves buying the worst examples of exotic cars, and we've seen him do that an awful lot. In 2016, he started VinWiki, a social vehicle history reporting platform, much like the crowdsourced version of Carfax. Ed has grown its marketing arm, a YouTube channel where he and his friends tell car stories. I looked this up today because we had to update from the last time we had Ed on. Mm. Holy crap, dude. <laughs> Nearly a million and a half subscribers and almost a half billion, billion with a B, billion views. Recently, Ed, along with fellow YouTubers, YouTubers Freddie Tavares Hernandez and Tyler Hoover, wrapped filming on the fifth series of Car Track, where the three embarked on a road trip to Amelia, starting in Amelia Island, driving Florida and Georgia and in each guy's dream car. Uh, and examples of their first cars. <clears throat> yeah. Which was, which was quite nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Ed's was nice. The other two, <laughs> not so much. And even a short jaunt in a McLaren F1. Ed, after that lengthy introduction, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thank you all for having me. It's always great to be here. Good Lord, you've been busy. I have, man. Having a lot of fun. About all I can handle. You've... Uh, <laughs> You don't seem to sit still a whole lot, dude. So, first things first. Not a whole lot. Who was nutty enough to lend you a McLaren F1? How did you talk them the into Miles doing Collier so? The Miles collections at the Revs Institute. We found out they were coming, and we thought it would be cool to have just the you know, pie-in-the-sky dream car example in our series about our personal dream cars. And so, uh, it's one of those things you ask expecting the answer no, and... They didn't give us that. Uh, it, it wasn't straightforward and it wasn't quick, but <laughs> through some shrewd negotiations, as we like to say, they uh, they got talked into it. And so uh, uh, we couldn't believe it. And obviously the reason you never see people do car reviews or driving McLaren F1s is that they're 
utterly uninsurable from a production perspective. <laughs> um, but we weren't going to let something like that stop us. And okay. So, Off the top of your head, and I'm sure you know this, how many total McLaren F1s were built? 106, 69 road cars. Okay. And for the uninitiated, the last one that sold at, well, let's say the last one that sold at Monterey. What yeah, did that the one sold a Gooding, a brown one sold with 500 miles. It's probably the nicest one to have sold in a public setting. It's not the most expensive one to have sold ever. Just did a hair over 20 with fees. 20 million, million? dollar car. Yeah. Holy Moses. And you decided it'd be okay to borrow one from somebody. <laughs> it's not something you say no to. They say no. <laughs> wow. Well, so... What's it like to drive? Uh, other than having a center seating position, which has got to be a little different. It is, but, you know, it makes a lot of sense. It's why they put race car seats in the middle of the real fast ones. Uh, it, it allows you really, really good straightforward visibility, and who cares about what's behind you? So it's no. one of those situations where the room, the setup, the layout was all great. I mean, I'm 6'5", and so my knees were against the dash, and my feet could barely hit one pedal at a time, but hey. I'm going to do it. Uh, (laughs) We were told that they were going to have to send a guy to stay with us. And he did. And they had said that was in the car with us. So it was just going to be me and frame. And then we were able to talk him into letting all three of us be in it. And uh, because it's a three seat car, obviously it's snug three seats. But uh, yeah, so we got to do that. And he stayed in the camera car. And then I actually let him drive my LP640, the kind of the car handler and the mechanic that cares for the F1. Mm-hmm. And so so we would get to keep driving it. So we ended up driving the car for the better part of about three hours, uh, just kind of all around the island and stuff oh. like that. So uh, I was hoping for like a few hundred feet so I could say enough <laughs> words to carry the voiceover that, uh-huh. that I actually drove the thing. And, and I told him that. I was like, yeah, look, literally... I need a moving background because we're not that good at editing, but I uh, I don't need to drive it far. And that turned into a few hours that were absolutely incredible. Oh, and bet. you got it on tape. You can play that back later and just go, oh, oh, oh. oh that really happened. Yeah. So, but, you know, when you think about one of these hero cars, it's never going to be the greatest thing technologically today, obviously, because it's 25 years old. But it kind of just has to be good enough that it would work as a car because we see some of these cars like an XJ220 or a Countach that while still spectacular are compromised enough as vehicles that they're really hard to continue dreaming for after you get up close and personal with one. And so fortunately that car is good enough. Like it's got a ceramic clutch. And so you have to let it do the work there kind of like your Carrera GT, but you could drive it now. Uh, I spoke to Mr. Collier about the car and about a lot of the stuff that he's doing. He has an amazing collection of cars down in Naples, Florida. He just wrote a book about the archaeology of the automotive search and the way that he does that and the cars that he's dug up, and it's incredible. And so I talked to him a lot about this car, obviously, because it was not my first sort of experience with that F1. Uh, In 2005, right as I was trying to start the exotic car rental company, I was offered a collection of cars that had the right car that I wanted in it. It was a high mile, kind of rough 360 Spider, sort of the perfect first car in an exotic car rental fleet. But you had to buy the two other cars that came with it from the seller, Wyclef John. Oh. And it was that McLaren F1 and the only Pagani Zonda with a U.S. title. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) 
And in 2005, that McLaren, which is now worth the better part of $20 million, and the Zonda, which is probably five, mm -hmm. uh, cost $900,000. You were in college, wow. dude. I know, but <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I asked if I could borrow $900,000. Uh, it was essentially six hundred dollars for the F1, three hundred dollars for the Zonda, and you got the three sixty dollars for free. So my thought was obviously you flip out of the other cars, maybe make a little bit of money, and then you keep the Ferrari, and that became my rental fleet at the time. But that did not happen, and so I ended up buying a Gallardo a few months later, but uh, with a lot of debt rather than flipping my way into owning it for free. But, uh, yeah, so it was the same car. Back then it was blue over white. He painted it this gorgeous metallic green, and uh, yeah, so he he owns it for a whole lot less than it's worth, like most McLaren F1 owners do. Mm. But uh, what a thing, man! Spectacular. I'm happy <laughs> for you. That's that's <laughs> so you. cool. Uh, God, I'm just blown away at the idea of that that just that smokes me. The VinWiki YouTube channel continues to grow, and you've got nearly. A million and a half subscribers, and this is what I couldn't believe when I looked it up this afternoon. Half a billion views. Good God. Half a it's crazy. Billion I mean, each views. year it it adds up to like twenty five hundred years of watch time. <laughs> Holy like crap. Like people spend dude. like I mean, yeah, if it's uh it's uh, you can't really like wrap your head around that. Like there's no way to figure out what it means to have had that many people watch your stuff. Uh, I'm just flattered that they care enough to listen. And what I'm privileged enough that we've gotten opportunities like this, like car track. And, and that's really the way I view car track is that we have these audiences and they are offering their attention in exchange for whatever we can do to entertain them. And for us to be proper stewards of their time and their attention we have to do everything in our power to up the ante in terms of production, in terms of the adventure, and in terms of what we can figure out a way to do. And so, yes, it is the most natural expression of our love for the automobile and the relationships that we have with each other. But it's us also trying as hard as we can to push the envelope as hard as we can to make sure that we come up with the best product we possibly can. Um, we're going to get back to car track in just a second. I, I have to ask you a couple more questions one i didn't look up how many uh VinWiki videos you have now but it's got to be a staggering quantity it's about 1100 that's a ton that's yeah, a so ton. every weekday for a little over four years yeah well it's uh it goes with my morning coffee believe it or not um when you started this did you have any idea that it was going to be anything like this Absolutely not. I mean, that the notion of like making a living by making YouTube videos even five years ago was not even really that much of a thing. There were a few people trying to justify that they earned a living doing it, but they had other ways of earning a living or not needing to. And so the, the idea that it would ever become my job to do that, which was really a way for us to promote this app that we had just released. So the VinWiki app came out in summer of 16, mm -hmm. and we started the YouTube channel summer of 17, once we learned that we didn't have enough money to spend on other marketing. And so, you know, this wasn't just a tap a domino, butterfly flaps and swings in Kansas, and then suddenly everybody downloads your app the way you think it will go as you build it. Uh, and so, in fact, we needed to figure out a way to acquire users more economically. And so I just figured, hey, we've got some car stories. And I would kind of arranged some of my best stories from the car business to be openings to chapters of the book that I'd written about mm -hmm. our Cannonball Run record back in 2013. 
And so I'd kind of arranged them at least enough to know that I could retell them because it was, it was the kind of stories that I tended to retell in selling cars and doing car stuff. And so we just sat down with some pizza and beer one night and uh, shot the first 25 in a day. <laughs> wow. That's impressive, too. Um, you and Freddie and Tyler, at least to the rest of the world, it looks like you just finished uh, ser- the Series 5 of Car Trek. I'm right. sure the filming was done quite some time ago, but the, mm-hmm. the fifth episode just dropped today. Uh, again, morning coffee. <laughs> I was watching this just today. So you've done five series of these in 18 months. First of all, congratulations. You must have the most spectacular timing of anyone on the planet. Cause I don't know about that. But it, yes, it was a good time to, to do longer form content because that's what we saw. Is We actually all saw a bit of a drop in YouTube views mm-hmm. uh, for our normal content because people started to consume Tiger King and all this other like, you know, series of 30 plus minute stuff. And so it was serendipitous that we released the first one kind of right as the pandemic set in. Yeah, I I think that it's been uh, I think it's been well received for for a number of reasons, but not the least of which we were all locked in our damn houses. We needed something to see. And for car guys, this is what we wanted. So great timing. Well done. Uh, Five series in 18 months. That seems like an enormous amount of time and work. Uh, How long does it take to prepare the shows or script the shows? How long does it take to film? Is there a big crew? Uh, Tell us all about it. Sure. So in general, you know, we'll talk about different idea premises. Like we'll probably do three in 2022. We've probably got 10 different ideas that we're kicking around internally and with the sponsors just to see what might work. And so that kind of discussion usually takes about a month. And then it takes us, uh, I'd like to say we do a really good job of writing it. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're not <laughs> showrunners. We don't, we, we just are car guys that love going on road trips. And so uh, we don't do nearly enough pre-planning. Uh, usually the crew, which is fairly small for a production of the size, it's like five people, um, mm-hmm. will show up and be like, what are we going to shoot? And we're kind of like, whatever happens and uh that's not how they're used to working and and they say fortunately no no yeah we built an amazing crew and they have resumes miles long and have built stuff that you know is unbelievably high quality well polished and the the strangest thing in the world is that we managed to get more views than most of the other stuff they've done just by doing you know stuff on youtube and serving to our audience that that continues to enjoy it and so I think our first series uh, between the episodic structure that we did and the supporting videos that we did, kind of the behind the scenes stuff is over 25 million views. And uh, the other ones are a little less, but it's still, you know, millions and millions and millions, but it's, uh, it's crazy. And so we're going to keep doing it until the sponsors stop writing checks or people stop watching them. (laughs) I I don't see you having trouble with either of those things anytime (laughs) soon. What is the genesis of the series ideas? Uh, do the three of you come up with the concepts or is it one guy has an idea? Uh, it, it just, you all generally, uh, we come up with them in our kind of daily discussions. We're like, Hey, what if we did this? And honestly, while, you know, just like anything we saw in top gear or any other automotive production, like there's a reveal, like, Oh, we pull up in these cars, but obviously we all know what cars we're going to have. Cause we've had to deal with buying them and fixing them. And it, it's not, 
we go buy it and then drive straight there. And so a lot of times the ideas come from one of us finding a ridiculous car. And then we build a premise around that being an interesting choice for the game. And so like, I just bought this insanely stupid car out of uh, the UK and that'll be the car Trek seven premise is something that that is a good solution to. And so that's, you know, that's just kind of what happens. Just for the record, I'd like to say that not anything else you guys have done made me laugh quite as hard as seeing Freddie driving a Ferrari with no doors on it, man, that car, you know, Freddie is obviously the handiest of us all, Mm -hmm. but he is the pro in procrastination. And so he can, I mean, he, he had that car totally apart, not, and not, and it ran when he got it, but, uh, the day before he was supposed to leave. And, you know, there's a lot of things you could blame it on, but it was just like five months just vanished with that car. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, yeah, it, it, the car was not ready to go. The car was remotely ready to go. And that was the solution to the fuel vapor issue, which was dramatic. In this series, all three of you were reuni- reunited with versions of your first cars. Uh, how did the actual cars compare to your memory of them? And was it better, worse, or somewhere in between? You know, it's... One of those things that we always wonder, like, should we have kept our first cars or could we dig them up and find them? And I actually know generally where my Audi S4 that I had when I was 17, 18 years old is gone. And and honestly, my first car was a hand-me-down Land Rover that blew up not long after I received it, not by any fault of my own. But um, I found that car again recently as well that, well, I found out who scrapped it three years ago, but I, you know, it's it's really fun to kind of chase those cars. And we all ended up with pretty good facsimiles of what we had owned years and years ago. And I, I loved mine. You know, I, I don't have enough space to keep all the cars that I'd want to keep, but you've got a magnificent garage. So, uh, well, and it holds five cars. And if you own a lot of aging, terrible condition supercars, that's how many you have to have in order to have one that'll get you to wherever you have to go on a daily basis. Um, but I don't need more than that. And and that's actually important to me because I see Tyler with 30 cars trying to keep them running. And I'm like, you are an idiot. And he knows that. He'll tell that. That's how he opens all his videos. But I, I cannot imagine trying to keep that many cars running because I know how hard it is to keep, you know, five plus whatever we're working on. Yeah. And, you know, it, it takes so long to get these cars ready for the series that, and so, uh, you know, I guess secret revealed of Car Trek uh, 6 is that it was not one car per person, it was more. And uh, in the same way, that, I mean, this in five, we had our first cars, which were a lot of work. The, the dream cars were all pretty much sorted out. This is a lot more work than that. And that's why I look as exhausted as I do. You also <laughs> each got to drive your dream cars and you've been able to, that you've been able to add to your personal collection. Did yours measure up to what you thought it was? Now, you'd owned Mercy's before, so... Yeah. Uh, yours was probably going to be pretty easy to gauge, but do you think all of them measured up to what you thought they were going to be, or each of you thought what they were going to be? I think so. I, you know, it's interesting because for both Freddie and Tyler, 
I mean, they were sort of playing my game here. And if that wasn't obvious throughout the series, then I, I don't know if we did a good job because like owning your dream cars has been something that I took on a lot of debt to do a lot earlier than would have ever been responsible. And it's meant a lot to me personally to dream after a car, make the career goals kind of circle around that acquisition and then do it as early as I possibly can. And usually as recklessly as I could possibly do it. Mm -hmm. And for them, both of those cars were the first big cars they bought just for themselves and not for the nature of content. And so Tyler's SLS AMG, when he told me he bought it, I mean, I knew that it was, you know, that the way that our channels work, that was probably an okay financial decision for him. And the same for Freddy's. And, but I was like, this is a very different thing for your audience to yeah. see you go out and spend over $100,000 on a car. And so I was excited for them, but I was always like, are you going to, you know, jump the shark a little bit with this thing? And when you're at the wizard shop complaining about a $400 part on a $3,000 car, are they going to believe you? And fortunately, his audience has understood and they, they, they know how much the car means to him. And he's had some ridiculous content with it as well. And the same for Freddie, like the DBS is not going to get a million views of video the way that a project car that he's building over time will but they were really the cars they bought as a natural expression of what they loved about cars. And they have really, really enjoyed them. And so Tyler obviously loves the 300 SL Gullwing and this being the modern interpretation that now costs, you know, five to 10% of what a real 300 SL Gullwing yeah. would set you back yeah. uh, was a, was a great pickup and he does love it. I mean, the mercy to me is everything that I could ever want, like other than a McLaren F1, but I, <laughs> I, I it just, it sums up, the things that I love about a big, crazy, screaming, naturally aspirated manual transmission V12 mm. supercar that I could ever mm. want. It's something that I've been able to kind of make a mark on with respect to the industry and documenting the rarity of these cars and not causing the values to go up a lot and making a lot of money on them. And so I've been able to buy the one that I really like, paint it the color I always wanted to have one, even though they didn't make any for the U.S. in that color. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's been as fulfilling as I could ever want it to be. Um, I, I, I can't really imagine ever parting with it, although a nicer one came up for sale today and I was kind of contemplating moving up, but you know, mine's mine. It's the highest mile one in the country. I just love it. The one that came up today, was it also a gated shifter? Yeah. Oh, Ed. Yeah, that's that's got to be tough to look at and, yeah. and not want to jump on. Well, I, I mean, I, I usually place five to 10 of them a year. Well, historically, they've all kind of got gravitated towards homes they'll never leave. Um, so I I help people find them when they want them because there's only 30 cars in the U.S. And so oh, they, wow. there's fewer than there are 250 GTOs in the world. And so I know where they all are. And that's been a passion of mine for a good oh, a good little while. I didn't realize it was only 30. And yeah. Good Lord, that is when, that is a when sequential number. manual transmissions paddle shift cars became popular. The thought was that the take rate of that option F1 E gear, whatever you want to call it, was like ninety percent, but in fact it was about ninety nine percent. And so um, you just never ever saw the manual cars after those became available. Uh, I'd still want a manual. <laughs> I mean, I still yeah, everybody manual. does, but now it's a you know four hundred thousand dollar premium on a Mercy. Yeah. If memory serves, this is the first time you've won the car track competition outright. That's correct. 
Congratulations. It, first of all, you, you, you got to be happy. <laughs> yeah. I, I am. That being said, the winning means different things to everyone. And for me, winning is finding the way to have the most fun possible. Mm-hmm. And I have done that in every single series. True. Tyler cares an awful lot about winning in the absolute <laughs> sense of the word and being the fastest and the best and doing it the right way and not taking stupid risks and buying the right car and all that. And that's why usually Tyler wins. I I, I think I might share a little bit of that with him. I'll race your ass through a car wash. That's it. That's it. And <laughs> Freddie wants to overcome something great. Okay. And whatever, he'll stack the deck against himself and he'll do that. And when we look at like, the top gear challenges that obviously we are inspired by you never remember who won all you remember is like did each character each person experience the journey in the way they wanted to yeah and our hope in the storytelling of this kind of a series is that each of us can sort of have our own wins um actually the most recent season we probably did the worst job of that because uh, you can't beat me at the challenges that uh, we oh, were no, going to no, build no. Wait, around. Wait a second. On one, of your, one of your wins came because you have a skill set that few people have, and it involves being able to outrun the police. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, and that, that was one of those things that popped up at the last minute because they wanted to do the arrest me thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they they had these like – so we, we had rented a track in North Georgia, Atlanta Motorsports Park, and – the local cops called and they asked if they could use the track during the lunch hour where the track goes cold. Mm-hmm. And we're like, of course you can. And so they were going, they, these kids had like won the chance through doing something at their elementary school. They were like eight years old, nine years old to come right along with the cops. And so they had gone to do all these oh, things, cool. the drug dogs and all this stuff. And so they were going to do an on track high speed police chase and then arrest the guy. And so they asked us that. And I was like, well, who are you going to be arrested? And they said, well, just one of our other off-duty cops just in an explorer. I said, well, you want to arrest me in a Lamborghini? And they go, yeah. <laughs> and so, they, uh, so they showed up, and rather than eating lunch, I just went out and let them chase me around the track. Not very fast, mind you, these cops, but uh, uh, in a Lambo. And then I just pull over, and they come out, and they handcuff me and all this stuff, which was super fun. And we showed that in Car Trek, but I was like, hey, you know, in exchange for us doing that, can you – chase us around and see how much faster your EcoBoost F-150 is than their cars, and I'll show you how fast my Audi is with its meth injection. Well, Tyler was screwed from the beginning. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And so it was was so much fun. And, uh, you know, that's just one of those things. We're trying to put ourselves in situations where those types of things can happen, and, you know, we couldn't have planned that. They don't tend to do that when you ask. We've tried many times to get police to cooperate with different things we want to do for Car Trek. And uh, since most of my friend cops are in California and Georgia, we haven't been here much. So. Uh, well, yeah. you look like you guys were having a blast, and that was really cool. That we were. That we were. We got to cap it off pretty well, too. What is it like to drive, to race a McLaren 765 versus a MiG fighter jet? Absolutely unreal. So we had actually rented another runway Mm -hmm. and it was much longer. And so unfortunately 
another car company with a reputation for being a little bit dishonest and not following rules had also rented that runway and made a video they weren't supposed to. Okay. So we got ours canceled. They just, oh. just said no more filming mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And that's about all I can say about it other than that it was going to be awesome. <laughs> and so we ended up using a smaller private runway where we could only run about seven tenths of a mile. And that day it was hot and the mercy wasn't running well. So the most we did was like 160 miles an hour. That was in episode two. Was that all? Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> I, which I probably did more than that on the way there. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, so we were not really able to do exactly what we wanted in that moment. And so I had called a friend that I'd sold some car to, cars to that works at these air shows and has a service where you can pay a couple hundred bucks and you can take either a Gallardo Spider or a Ferrari 430 out on the runways and drive as fast as you want to between events. So I sold in those two cars while I worked at the dealership and helped them kind of set up this company. And so I asked him, I said, hey, is there any runway that you can get us in on? Because he has all the military connections. And he said, yes, but it has to be at an air show. And there's no air shows the week that we had carved out for filming. And with everybody's schedules, like we can't move that just for this one thing. So there was the opportunity to go to Lake Charles, Louisiana the week after we wrapped filming because there was an air show there. Uh, however, since we agreed to do it at the last minute, we couldn't use one of our cars. So a friend of his was bringing a 765 LT to do this like performance stunt that they do where he races this jet. Amazing. And so uh, I was honestly the only person able to make that work with my schedule and I wasn't going to turn down the opportunity. And so that's how it became part of the storyline is that we went out there. It was just me and two of our shooters and we, uh, we did it. I, nice. I'm dying to know what the 765's like. I'm dying to know what it's like at speed and to look over and see a jet. Uh, <laughs> that was nuts because the thing shoots like 50 feet of flames out with the afterburners. Is going, that why and, on the one race you were starting markedly behind the jet? <laughs> so we framed it as a drag race with this jet. Mm-hmm. That is not normally the stunt. What they do is they try to do this convergence race where they, they say go with the plane far enough behind the runway already in the air, mm-hmm. and you go as fast as you can in the car, and they try to have this neck and neck past the tower thing. So that's the thing we were really there to do. Fortunately, the guy who owns the plane didn't have much good footage of himself taking off with the afterburners going off from behind him because nobody likes to stand there. And so he said we could do a drag race as long as I didn't win effectively because I couldn't get in front of them because we lose the shot. Sure. Cause we had all these GoPros on the roof and the side of the car. And so we did a drag race, but I had to go a third throttle because a car would demolish the jet for the, you know, up to 40 miles an hour. And yeah. then once the jet gets moving, it's game over. And so we, we hung back a little bit. That's why I could only hit like 196 or seven yeah. oh, that run. Yeah. Um, and then, the, but this thing is, unbelievable i mean mclaren builds cars that are probably too fast to sell to the public and this is the craziest one they sell right now um it does have a lot more downforce than the 720s and so it we probably would have gone a little bit faster in a 720s but the uh, i mean goodness gracious the thing is fast and it's super planted that's the thing about mclaren's uh we were a mclaren dealer as well as lamborghini aston martin and lotus and so uh, when they came to the Atlanta market, I was the sales guy for them. And so I love the cars. 
I don't love their unreliability, but I mean, this is the best thing they make. And the, the, the cars are so planted to be a two wheel drive car. Uh, it's unreal. And so, I mean, it just stuck, went and never lets go. It did hit a good bit of like an aerodynamic wall in the mid one nineties. And so like, you know, you're gaining more than 10 miles an hour a second uh, all the way up. And then it just kind of like 198, 199. And we got it to 205, which is their top speed. Uh, I didn't have a GPS with me, so I'm sure it was a little bit less, but 205 miles an hour. That's extraordinary. That is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, you guys have done five series of these in the last 18 months. And, uh, you know, everybody here has enjoyed watching them. Mm-hmm. And the inspiration from uh, Top Gear and Grand Tour is obvious. Has anybody from either of those shows said anything to you? Larson tweeted once as a response to somebody who had tweeted to him that like he'd seen that it exists. I don't know that that means that he watched anything of it or anything like that. Um, James May has mentioned in some of YouTube videos for Drive Tribe that he's seen parts of stuff. I, we haven't gotten any like real response to what they think of it. I um Clarkson's tweet was like yeah but we did it for 20 years and that's totally true and like we have no interest in being top gear or taking it away like the way I I I describe it is we get to play top gear because a sponsor asked us what we wanted to do and the answer was we want to play top gear and I I think that that's you know exactly what we want to be able to do is just we're not trying to replace it we're not trying to be the next one we're just trying to pay our homage to something that absolutely influenced everything we do around our careers and around cars Uh, you've done an excellent job the show's fantastic uh the collector interesting thing though is that it took 10 seasons or so of of top gear in order for them to really be the top gear we loved yeah Yeah, and that's because you had to establish like why does Hammond care so much about the way that he looks? Why is Jeremy such an idiot? Why does James May <laughs> care about all these little fasteners and things like that? And each of those kind of has to have a context before it's the inside joke that the whole world gets. And because people have spent so much time watching our channels, they most of the people that are watching it, now it's not you know the Super Bowl every week the way that uh, Top Gear was, but the people who watch know who we are. Yes, yes. So we don't have to remind them of why I care about getting a best deal on a terrible car, why Tyler just can't help himself and buys the cars that he does, why Freddie <laughs> never finishes anything. Like everybody knows this stuff. <laughs> and so it's we don't have to remind them of that. And more importantly, we don't have to spend a lot of time explaining that to yeah. everybody else. And so we kind of can build the chemistry and the emotional environment so that the story can proceed without having to spend, to get bogged down there. The advantage you have is you all came fully formed. So right, right. out right out of the gate, you already had all that established. All right, a couple questions real quick about the collector car market. It's been sure. white hot for probably the last 16, 18 months. Uh, do you think we're poised to see it slow or cool down? And if it does, what do you want to add to your collection did you see the laugh before (laughs) it's interesting because it takes a bit out of the the thrill for me in the economics of car ownership when just 
everything is going up. And um, I I don't necessarily – it's hard for me to play in it. And there's a lot of dealers I know that have just kind of stopped. Like they're just like, are we just going to hold our cars? Because every time we sell one, we look stupid a month later because something else that's worse than it sells for more. Um, I think it will contract, but not – in a bubble sense, because a lot of these are cash transactions, people moving money from other investments into cars that they see going up. And so they're not going to have loans come due. They're not going to struggle to make their payments. The, the, the lenders still remember 2008. And so mm-hmm. they're not out advancing stupid numbers. Um, and so, and they're legitimate transactions. They're not the 2013, 14, what we saw in the Porsche market where like asking prices just doubled on every GT car because for no reason other than it happened. And uh, so sometimes it's kind of baseless like that. Like there was no really, really good reason. Like, um, so yeah, I don't know. I love the cars I have. I'm starting to realize that I might need a newer car because (laughs) the older ones don't work all the time. And so I, you know, I, I don't have a car with Bluetooth or any of that stuff or, you know, uh, parking sensors and that, you know, so don't I feel bad. You're not alone. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, as I, I do a lot of rallies and stuff like that, that it would probably be nice to have something newer. I was, I tried really hard to get an eight twelve C allocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, you've never bought a new Ferrari. And I was like, yeah, I don't like them, but I like that one. And they, uh, <laughs> Uh, they don't like that as a reason. Um, and they're like, well, what if you, will you buy all of them forever? And I was like, no, do I need to tell you that in order for me to have this? And I, no. And so I, I don't know. I, I love the Senna LM because it's like a tribute to the greatest car in the world. Um, but I'm not about to sell all my cars to have one. And and I, that, you know, that also may not be the most reliable thing in the world. So not, I love the ones I have. I uh, I wasn't sure how much I would love the Paris Hilton SLR, but I've enjoyed the heck out of it, and <laughs> it's uh, it's so much fun. So, is the the SLR? How is that coming? It's great. No, I mean the car is fine. It, the the I got a really really depressing estimate of how much they wanted to fix <laughs> stuff on it, but none of that stuff was necessary. I've driven the car a lot without having that stuff done, so it's fine. It's just time based junk. It doesn't need lug nuts. Because it's seven years older and this is like no. So you have the Mercy and the SLR. Uh, what rounds out the rest of your collection? I still have the Gallardo from Car Trek One, the manual transmission one that was in the flood, the blue one. Oh, wow. uh, and I think I'll keep that not only because I can't replace it with anything cooler than it for the eighty two, eighty three grand or whatever I own it for. Um, there's only about three hundred manual Gallardos in the U.S., about eighty five spiders, and so. I love it. It's fun. It won't break in a catastrophic way. Uh, I'm sure the wiring harness is corroding without me moving it because of the water ingress, but who cares? And so I, uh, I love that car. I've got the 430 Scuderia, uh, which I have had for a good while now. And I've kind of had a ton of adventures in it. I love it, but I I, kind of feel like there's not much else I can do with it. So I'm thinking about selling it, but honestly, it's the most reliable car that I own. And that scares me. Uh, <laughs> um, so I have it. Uh, the three Cannonball cars are up in a museum. The Brock Yates Audi from 85, the 
uh, O2S55 from 2904 that I won and the CL55 from the Cannonball record. Mm-hmm. They all live in a museum in North Georgia. So that's nice. They don't take up my space and I don't have to worry about how broken they are, which is very broken. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, right now I have other Car Trek cars. Um, I kept the 599 for a while, but I ended up selling it due to the overlap with the SLR and the Scud. But, uh, yeah, um, I don't know what's next. So- I is the Mercy your dry, your daily? I I kind of daily them all. Like I don't I, I I don't ever hesitate to drive them when they're working. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about Mercies and Gallardos even right now is that parts can take like yeah. months when yeah. you need them. And so the Mercy needed some front diff bushings, which just meant that when you stopped, it went thud for a long long time. Uh, and so it, it, it's kind of just been hanging out for a while. I'd still drive it anywhere I wanted to and just have to deal with that. Um, but yeah, I might, uh, oh yeah, I have this car coming to the UK. I might keep it. I wanted it for a while. We'll have to wait and find out about yeah, those. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to push you real hard about the next series, but yeah. very, very cool. We've been speaking with Ed Bullion, founder of VinWiki and one-third of the series Car Track. You can find all of Ed's social media links on readthedriven.com. Ed, thank you so much for being with us, especially on short notice. And congratulations with VinWiki and Car Track. Uh, you seem to have the Midas touch. <laughs> it's more of uh, being in the right place at the right time and a broken clock still right twice a day. But uh, we're having an awful, awful lot of fun. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. God, is this not the best job ever? Talk to cool people. About about car stuff. Yeah, about cool stuff. Uh, We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mr. Corey Pratt. Yes. And Mark Groves. Yup. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you here next time on Driven Radio.